Hey there, welcome to the show. Wow, I can't believe how fast this year is going. Here we are, middle of September, and what's going on in the world of real estate? Well, I do have some guests joining me this hour. It's going to be great to have them aboard. I've got George Nikotopoulos. He is the vice president of The Simple Company. He's going to be joining me um, in the next segment, and we are going to talk about obviously investment in real estate, what people should be really looking at. And later in the hour, joining me from across the pond, I've got Dave Butler. And Dave's been away on hiatus for for uh, a short period of time, and he, but he wanted to make sure that he weighs in on what's happening with the economy, interest rates, what we're seeing, and it's always great to have him join me. Uh, of course, he'll be back at the end of the month with Tim Sirianos for the Real Estate Talk Triangle, and I'm looking to have them join us and we can you know get re-engaged and really start talking about what's happening in the world of real estate because that's one of the most important things and you know it's amazing how real estate um, really is sitting on everybody's tongue every single day not just because of what happened a few years ago you know when the market was going crazy everybody's talking about hey let's get multiple offers oh I get 75 offers people are showing up with briefcases of money which is was complete you know what but at the end of the day the big picture stuff is that real estate continues to be on the tip of everybody's tongue, but the narrative has changed. And the, one of the main reasons why the narrative is changing is going to be part of my rant today. You got it. The real estate rant is back because, by popular demand because people like it, I guess, when I get a little bit passionate about what we talk about. And that happens to be real estate. So um, let's, let's, let's kick it off by saying, you know, what is the real problem? Well, Here's the thing. You know what? Shut the borders. Okay. I'm going to make it really simple. Shut the borders. All the economists are saying, shut the borders. Okay. You let in that many people, we've got to absorb them into our housing, our economy and everything else. And when you leave a border wide open and say, come on in, we're open for business. You haven't even prepped your business. And so my problem that I have with, of course, was the, uh, the initial reaction to the federal government saying, really not our problem, you know? Uh, housing really isn't our problem. So then we get, obviously, the the provinces picking up the slack, municipalities having to pick up the slack, but they really don't have the ability of shutting off the top of people coming in. Now, do we all remember the cycle that it takes to produce an actual structure? It's not like we can turn around and make it like we make an easy bake oven cake, okay? It doesn't take 30 minutes. You don't just put something in a pan and we turn around and bake it. It takes years, and even if the entire process is shortened, it still takes years, okay, to build what they're trying to build, to catch up the way they want to catch up. And the fact that we've got builders now that are pulling back on the inventory that we they had committed to, meaning, and it's not their problem, because interest rates went up, and at the, at the end of the day, construction's costing them too much. And then, of course, they've got to be worried about the end user, meaning the condominium buyer, um, are they going to buy? Are they going to close? You know, there's all sorts of issues that are starting to, you know, compound our problem. But let's start off by saying when you hear, you know, areas that are driven by universities saying that we've got too many students, we can't house, there's going to be people that are going to be homeless. And I don't know if you've driven around any major city lately, but have you noticed the homeless encampments? They've gotten bigger. And, you know, the one sad thing is that, you know, a lot of these people, they, they, they need definitely care. They, they need, you know, people to help them. They need people to be able to put a roof over 
I had if it's just even like some kind of community uh, form of housing. But at the end of the day, that's not the only people that are there. You know, the homeless, the, to, to call somebody homeless, it, it, it seems to actually be changing. And, you know, so what we need to take a look at, and, and I'm just going to tell the, you know, one certain mayor here in Toronto, just to, don't eat, just don't open your mouth anymore about homelessness and, and trying to create something because you, you're just not doing it, okay? Like your, 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 your chatter isn't going to help anybody, okay? You've got to turn around and you got to work with your, your government housing. You've got to clean up your act, okay? You've got thousands and thousands and thousands of units in Toronto community housing that you can't inhabit because they haven't done the renovations, but yet you want to go after everybody else to either house people or tax people, and it's not the solution. I think everybody just needs to give a good good head shake and start thinking of a solution. So where is solutions going to be found? You know, this is this is the problem. We have a, it, it's not even a housing crisis because let's just forget about the first time home buyer for a second. By the way, first time home buyers are driven by first time home sellers. There's not a home seller out there right now that wants to turn around and dive into a bigger mortgage. So the first time home seller is not going to happen. So the first time home buyers are kind of sitting on the, way, on, on the sideline. Sorry, you may have to suck it up for a little bit. I'm more concerned about, you know, the, talking about the rental market because forget about the first time home buyer ownership. We've got to get in, people into housing, period, because people showing up in this to this country is really showing where the lack of inventory sits. And, you know, here on the show and with all my other guests throughout the years, we've talked about an inventory shortage, okay? In fact, if you pulled up a clip from me doing this show 10 years ago, you will hear me saying, we have an inventory problem. And everybody would sit there and say, Todd, you, you talk about this problem all the time. I don't see it, right? We don't see it. Well, what do you see now? You know, in North Bay, at one of the universities, there's going to be a whole whack of people that aren't going to have a place to stay. You know, they're basically going to sit there and they've got to stack them on top of each other. When we talk about, you know, universities and now all of a sudden student housing is all disappearing. Why? Because we need, they're using some of the housing for, you know, your full-time residential adults. So where is the solution? Well, there isn't one, okay? We can sit there and say, at least there's not one instantaneously. Again, we can stop the bleeding a little by turning around and controlling the immigration. I have said this, and people want to call me to task on this, but I've said that when we talk about new immigration, should we not be mandating, like we once did many, many years ago, that we want some trades into the country? You know, we've got an aging demographic with the trades. We're no longer going to be able to build enough even to get, even to remotely keep ahead. And then, of course, we've got other provinces that are starting to threaten homeowners that let's say they're now empty nesters and they're now saying well if you're uh you know a couple living in a four bedroom home we're going to tax you on the two vacant bedrooms are you kidding me like you think that's a solution by increasing taxes so you're trying to force the person to sell their house is that right or is it what are you going to do with the tax money cuz clearly when you hear the major cities saying, we have a, a shortage on funds, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to start hitting them with taxes. You're going to start hitting them harder and harder and harder. Have you not noticed that people already are bleeding? And I'm not talking about, you know, the people that, you know, you want to go after at two and three million dollar housing. I'm talking about that person that's got three people living in a one bedroom condo in downtown Toronto. 
okay, the people that are trying to keep their jobs, trying to at least not to have to travel as much, you want to tax everybody you possibly can. And that's not the solution. It's never been the solution. Okay. The only way that housing becomes affordable is having too much housing. And what are you going to do? Turn around and say, okay, you had your house for 30 years. You must sell. I mean, it sounds a little Logan Runnish if everybody remembers that reference to a movie many, many years ago. It's like once you turn 30, they wiped you off the face of the planet. Well, once you hit 30 years of home ownership, what are they going to do? Say you've owned it long enough. You have to sell it. I mean, this is the thing. There hasn't been a thoughtful plan put together. Even though we still hear more and more from some of the municipalities and, you know, I will give Premier Ford kudos because he is trying desperately to get things moving. And and no, a lot of people are sitting there saying, yeah, and what time do you support him? No, I don't support anybody. I, You know what I support? I support the guys that are going to put the shovel in the ground and start building. That's the person I will support. I don't care about everybody else's politics because it's all a bunch of BS to me. All the empty promises. Here's what I've asked for. And I've asked for it for the last 10 years during every single, you know, American uh, election, during the provincial elections, even during the federal elections, I called out every single one of the candidates and said, what is your plan for housing? Don't tell me it's 1.5 million homes because you can't deliver it. Let's be honest. You can't deliver on any part of that promise. So why don't you be smart and say this year, we are going to put shovels in the ground and make 50,000 units. Guess what? You'll get my vote. But if you don't do something as concrete as that, then stop talking. Get out of the way. Empower the builders to do it. And yeah, I know a lot of people are sitting there saying greedy builders. Well, you know how you get the builders to get going? You do put an incentive in there for them because they're going to have to work. They're going to have to get their employees to work. They're going to have to get their supply chain going. We need housing. It's as simple as that. If you don't want to build the housing, then shut the border because we can't sustain the amount of immigration that is open today to be able to house everybody. Now, the funny thing is, is that you hear these reports where some people are starting to lose their house, right? Or some of these greedy investors, some of these landlords, oh, they're greedy. You know what? They're going to lose their property. Guess what's going to happen? It just will get absorbed into the system because what you forget is that if it's a landlord that's got a tenanted property, there's a tenant there, then when it gets sold, there's only one or two things that happen. The tenant moves out and the new owner moves in or the tenant stays and it's got a new owner. What part don't people understand that when we start hearing that, oh, people are going to lose homes, that it doesn't increase inventory because it's sitting inventory. It's either got a family in it or it's going to have another family shift into it, but it's not new inventory because if you kick a tenant out, that tenant has to go somewhere. Okay, where? Right, you got it. You didn't build something extra to put that extra tenant in. So it's just playing Kajanga. Okay. You're not getting any further. Anyways, you know what? Again, I wish I could create a solution and we're going to have one in the next little while. Um, I'm, I'm not going to throw any kind of major teaser out there about what uh, the company's doing, but we will be going into the building platform. Okay. We are going to be working in the outer markets 
And in the future, we will be working with some affordable housing. Um, it's one of the things that we are going to turn around and take on ourselves because we know it's got to be something that we need to do for the future of Ontario and Canada. So um, we will be excited about it. You can stay tuned. We will be making more announcements in the future. But uh, when we come back, I've got George Nikotopoulos joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, um, in studio with me, I've got the vice president of The Simple Company. George Nikotopoulos is joining me. And the reason why I wanted to bring George in is that uh, The Simple Investor recently had a seminar webinar. And George, I wanted to talk to you about the offer that was put out. Um, but before we go down that road, let's talk about the importance of investment real estate and why it is so important for people's future. Yeah, wonderful, Todd. That's uh, that's a great question and a great topic that we deal with uh, all the time. Um, the importance of setting up uh, real estate for you know the generational wealth, but most of all the security. It is definitely something that everyone uh, needs. It's no longer a want anymore. It really has become a need today. Um, the annual income to qualify for a home in the GTA area is closer to 242000 It's putting a lot of people not able to qualify at those numbers. So the fact that there is a solution to get people down this road so that they can have that security. We're not even going to go to the um, healthcare and what one will need later on in life. And that's if we all gracefully age nicely. But, you know, fortunately for us, we do have a lot of our investors that are in healthcare and consistently tell us all the time wow, the numbers don't get any cheaper. And you know what? It is truly, truly something that people do need to look at. Yeah. You know, George, I think if you could share with our listeners, you know, the numbers are staggering when we talk about healthcare. And folks, if you, if, if you don't have, and I'll call it an incredible pension in place, we have to start safeguarding, you know, ourselves, our families. But when you think about it, you know, um, you know we talk about generational wealth a lot. But, you know, that's because we want to give something to the next generation. But what about the costs of you? What could you potentially cost your children or your grandchildren? Or for that matter, if you've got parents that are aging, how are you going to take care of those? And George, you know, one of the things I think that you've done incredibly well with all the investor base is really educate them on, you know, what real estate investment can do to help people. And again, this isn't about driving a Ferrari. This isn't about being rich. This isn't about being greedy. This is about security. And that's one of the biggest messages I think you give everyone. Oh, absolutely. And again, you know, for a lot of our investors, um, one of the biggest things that we kind of pride ourselves here with the team is by able to help them understand. So it's a step-by-step -step process. It's not it's not like all done in one opportunity. It is, it is explained, it is again gone over, but it, visualizing and seeing that, because numbers don't lie. I mean, they're in black and white. So, you know, when we say that our investor base has been very successful, it's strategical, it's done properly. It is done how, because interest rates are something that we're all very, 
knowledgeable about. We know where you're going to be at the end of five years. Most mortgages are on a five-year with a 30-year amortization. So seeing how this all plays out for us, it's all strategical. And getting you to the next level, again, is one step at a time. You know, over the last uh, last 18 months, obviously, the Bank of Canada has played havoc on uh, a lot of people um, having to deal with higher interest rates. And, you know, there are solutions out there for people to combat this current situation. You know, when we talk about real estate investors that are struggling a little because, you know, I think they took more of an, a speculative approach when they purchased the properties. You know, they said, well, values are going to go up. So it's okay if we're off by X number of dollars. Now they're even off by more per month. You know, there are solutions out there. Um, you know, maybe just run us through quickly. Like how, how do you turn around and calculate with investors the best way to be able to combat this kind of stuff? Well, one of the the big things I think that we bring to the table here at the uh, Simple Company is price points. And for a lot of folks that are looking at investment real estate, anything within the GTA are in the hundreds of thousands because the rules are all the exact same. Whether you're buying in Toronto or in London or in Windsor, it is 20% of the sale price. So the biggest factor that we bring to our investor base is definitely it, the attainability that you can get to a down payment a lot easier than you can. See, where a lot of our investors once upon a time, Todd, thought that investment real estate needed to be in the same town or city that they lived in. Well, that dream is now far gone because the average price being over a million dollars here. So a lot of people thought, I, I could never get into investment real estate. That's why this, you know, the, the success of the simple investor is not only to bring price point, but to also bring the management side that you don't have to worry about anything, that it'll continue to allow you to do you, whether that's working at a J-O-B or that's being retired overseas as we have some of our clients that are now nicely retiring in, in Europe it's all the same to us. Allow us to be able to do what we do and it allows you to do what you do. Yeah, you know, proof is in the pudding and obviously the record shows uh, 14 years, almost 150,000 rents paid out. Most importantly, you know, COVID, nobody, nobody missed a month's rent. And I think that's very important, but I think for people to understand and when, when you and I discuss the outer markets, the importance of it, it's not just an affordable, affordability standpoint, but it's also the tendencies. And you find, uh, and I'm pretty sure, you know, through the management system, you've been able to, you know, show the fact that, you know, you have more consistency even in that part of the market. Right. And oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the, again, one of the largest things is that we really like is that we do take the time with our clients and prospective investors. We invite everybody to come down, take a tour of the operations. You'll be able to see everything under one house here. I mean, we we take the time to understand that not everybody's the same. So everybody has a few different needs and wants of what they're looking for out of an investment. So it's important for us to be able to identify that and then be able to help them understand how to get to their goals. I mean, I, you know, had a lady that was well in her 80s and she qualified through the bank's eyes. So I don't typically see that. So God bless her. I mean, she was able to show the bank because the bank is that whole other entity. I mean, it's nothing personal. It is just 
the way the underwriters need you to qualify from their perspective to be able to show that you can carry this loan. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk about obviously the current uh, interest rate environment. Um, you know, at the seminar webinar, you know, we offered out a package at 3.99 for that first year, you know, people that registered within the first day, they, they took advantage of a two year hold on it. Um, but the opportunity is still there. And I know you and your staff still have some ability to be able to work with people that have been sitting on the fence. Why now? Why should somebody buy investment properties now? I mean, you know, with interest rates going up, you know, I get it. We've got uh, so much immigration coming into Canada right now. Um, why now? Wow. First, let me just start by saying, you know, the overwhelming amount of interest on uh, on the 3.99 interest rate was in, insane. It was amazing to see that there are um, a lot of people that are on the sidelines. And listen, uh, if anybody, we totally understand the fear factor of interest rates and what the unknown has for us. But I can tell you that, um, you know, first I want to congratulate all of the investors that did get on and have been successful with securing a unit and, and taking advantage of this 3.99. But I'll tell you, with us, it is really, truly important for you to reach out. And, and I'd say that because it, it allows us to inform you. It's never been important about your timing, but at the the biggest takeaway from here is to always keep yourself informed. Always understand where you sit on the scale from the bank standpoint. And the 3.99, the offering that we have is a solution. And what a lot of folks don't understand it until they can see it in front of them. And that's what my team really, really likes to do is take the time and we'll go over it. We'll even do Zoom meetings to be able to get that message across. And that's truly what it is. It's a solution and it isolates and it kind of takes away from that fear of the unknown. Everyone has that. So reach out. It doesn't cost anything. Our team would be more than happy to go over that. Yeah, excellent. Well, listen, George, thanks for coming up and joining me in the studio today. Uh, folks, when we come back, I'm going to have Dave Butler join us. But if you want to reach out to George and his team, go to the simpleinvestor.com and they'll be happy to have a chat with you about what you can do for your future. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So um, as I mentioned just before the break, my next guest joining me, he's no stranger to the show, but he's a stranger right now to the world because he went missing on us this summer. Uh, I want to start off with Dave Butler. Congratulations on your marriage. And, uh, you know, for all the fans out there that uh, have known Dave for years, um, you know, wonderful, wonderful story. And Dave, so just a quick, uh, you know, congratulations to start. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate that. And uh, man, I got to say, it's been too long. Like, I got to miss you guys. I miss seeing you and Omar and Aiden in studio and Tim. So I'm uh, looking forward to getting back. It's been, uh, I got to say, three months across the world with a one-year-old is uh, never easy. Although I had high aspirations that it might have been before it. So, yeah. <laughs> So, so, so you, so you prepped yourself, made sure that you had a lot of toys for, for entertainment. So, so Dave, you know, um, obviously I know you're staying with the pulse of what's happening. It's been one heck of a ride this summer, obviously, you know, Bank of Canada finally backing off in 
September, not really backing off, but at least they they didn't increase rates. Let's go there first because, you know, the last two meetings, of course, quarter point, quarter point, everybody started to scream, uh, you know, economists weighing in, financial people weighing in, even to the point, and, and, and I do want to talk about this, where we had some provincial leaders turning around, sending letters to Tiff Macklin saying, you need to stop raising the rates. And I found it almost comical to the point when, when the Bank of Canada last week announced that they would not raise the rates, that instantaneously we had a couple of these premiers start clucking like they think that they had the ultimate effect on it not going up. Yeah, I got to say, across the other side of the world, it's still interesting to see the political arena that we, you know, play in here in Canada. Um, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I will say this, right? I mean, I think, you know, you know, you and this show and myself and, and Tim, when we're on it, we've been trying to let Canadians know what's really going on. I mean, every month they're getting reports saying, hey, unemployment's staying low and the economy's doing great. And I think we all know um, that's just not the truth, right? We are, all of us have friends or even family members that are currently struggling in the existing financial environment. Um, you know, and, and it was, you know, it always felt weird month after month that the Bank of Canada or some other, you know, data point was coming out saying that everything is fine, that, you know, nothing's wrong, everything's fine. Um, it's not the case. I mean, I think we know this. I think we're starting to see it. Things are starting to crack. And this was obviously something we had talked about. I, I want to go back to like a year ago to say, look, if you raise rates at the velocity in which you did um, coming off the bottom in which they were for so long, um, it's a disaster waiting to happen. You, you, it's really not a financial um, playbook that most people or economies should follow. So, um, you know, to see politicians now standing up and even stating that, you know, people are being hurt this, we need to make sure the bank can't doesn't raise. I just think, you know, aside from the political, you know, um, motivation that was probably there, you know, at least the one thing I did say was, wow, someone else is seeing it, not just me, Todd, and a bunch of our clients. Um, so to be fair, I, I think it was a good thing that they came out, but obviously using it as, as political uh, tailwinds was, something we probably didn't expect, but not shocked about either, right? So. Yeah. And, and and Dave, you make a good point. You know, I, I'm, I'm the more voices, obviously, that are entering into the arena, I think is important, especially if we're all saying the same thing at the same time, right? And, you know, but here's here here's the problem, you know, and, and just kind of as they turn around and they announce that, hey, listen, you know what, we're, we're not moving it at this meeting, but they always throw the fear into everybody by immediately turning it around and saying, yeah, but that doesn't mean that we won't increase in the future. It's almost like they're shaming Canadians saying, and if you misbehave and this goes up, then we're going to turn around and punish you more. Do you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like they're dealing with an errant child and saying, okay, well, you know, listen to little Jimmy, you made a mess of your room. You go clean it up. But if you make a mess again, then we're going to punish you. Well, it's, um, you know, we, we, when you think about what happened the last time they paused, and obviously that is clearly a fear of theirs, right? I mean, it, you know, I, I, I think it was a, a amazing what we saw 
to start that spring market, uh, the spring housing market that is this year, when coming off the heels of a pause, um, it would have been in April. And we saw just, you know, the the sentiment amongst buyers and just Canadians like, hey, thank the Lord, you know, this this is getting going to get a little bit easier than it's been. And maybe we can start to afford homes again. Um, you know, and people started actually started to say, okay, I'm going to get back into real estate. And then for them to shut it down so hard with those two increases there in June and July, um, you know, it's, it's the, it seems like any pause they're going to do is definitely going to be accompanied by that language. And I think it's sad because I think Canadians aren't looking for that. You know, Canadians are not looking for the next time their payments are going to go up. Um, they're looking to know when they're going to get a little bit of relief. And sadly, it seems like the Bank of Canada is dead set on us entering a pretty heavy recession in order for them to lower the rates. But to be fair, you know, we did think about this. I mean, Todd, you and I and Tim, we would have this discussion a lot on the roundtable that, you know, they're they're not going to likely lower rates until Canadians are feeling it at their worst. And I think that's kind of been such a somber you know, moment for me to realize that that's where we are in this particular part of the cycle. We are literally at the point where the government is trying to harm us in order to supposedly help us in the end. So Dave, you know, a lot of comments may have been made that people renewing mortgages at this time. And, and you know, if you and I were talking the five-year terms that can't come into play in a lot of people's lives with mortgages, we always look at the numbers that, you know, pop up. And when we think about it, you know, Coming out of uh, like a 23 renewal means a 2018 purchase potentially, maybe 2019 coming up. You know, a lot of those people, obviously a lot lower price than we were feeling in 21, right? As far as purchase price. So the mortgages are lower. I know for a fact, you know, talking with you and your team, you know, renewals, uh, a lot of people actually bumped it up a little bit early. They didn't wait it all out. They came off some of those variable rate mortgages, kind of fixing rates more two, three year fixed. Talk to us about something that is near and dear to you. Let's talk about the bond market for a minute, okay? We've seen some escalation. We see fluctuation up and down. What do you think is going to happen? And the reason why I bring this up, folks, is because, you know, Dave is one of those people, he does two things. He calculates what the Bank of Canada is going to be doing, but the bond yields are very important to your fixed rate mortgage. Dave, where do you go from here? Well, I got to say, I mean... In tracking the bond yields for the time that I have been, I will say that, you know, we are at a stagnant point. Uh, and what I mean by that is the bond yields really don't know whether to go up or down. You know, we are, you know, the five-year bond yield here in Canada is just staying in this very tight range and for a very long time. And generally speaking, if you talk to people that understand uh, financial markets and even, you know, to an extent, technical analysis, They'll tell you that when you have such a tightening range, at some point, you know, it'll likely be news related, it'll likely be inflation related, it'll likely be, you know, financial issue related, um, is going to send the bond yields one way or the other. We saw and everyone talked about it. It was probably about a month ago or or maybe even a bit more where they said, Oh, the bond yields are breaking out to the upside. And and it really was a bit of a failed breakout. It, it didn't really have any any consistency on the end of it. It didn't have any any push. Um, so that tells me one thing that tells me that the bond yields are, you know, at least the bulls are in a tough spot that the bond yield bears, uh, and that would be the people like us that wanted to go down, um, and, and see a bit more financial, uh, affordability for Canadians, um, potentially are still in the game. And, you know, but with that said, 
you know, it's 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 going to come down to inflation. It's going to come down to whether something breaks in the financial machine. We're seeing it again. You know, we talked about this where we all have friends and family that are struggling right now. Uh, businesses are starting to struggle. We're seeing that a lot. I mean, you know, power of sales are increasing. You know, that generally when you look at cycles and you look at tops and bottoms, um, at least in a rate hiking cycle, what we're seeing in the sentiment we're seeing is usually something that we will see start to come back down. Now, again, timing is the thing we don't have. It's the crystal ball in terms of knowing when is not something we'll have. But the reality that I see is that the bond yields are telling us something. They're telling us that there's not much room to go higher, right? Even with everything that's being said, inflation even uptaking a little bit, the bond yields aren't moving in the direction that you would really think or the velocity at which to think. So to be fair, um, I think we're winning the battle, but I don't know if it's going to be a clear win likely till the end of the year or even beginning of next year, right? I think we're actually going to find ourselves in this nascent pattern for quite some time with the bond yields. And that really is because I believe they're waiting to get the confirmation that inflation has been beat. Okay. So thinking is saying beat, we've beat the clock. Dave, we're going to go to a quick break. While we come back, I've got more with Dave Butler. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, and welcome back. So right now I've got Dave Butler joining me via Zoom from across the pond. And Dave, uh, just before the break, we were talking about, you know, bond yields and how really you, you you think there's not much left to the glass ceiling to break because we're kind of kind of maxing out. And of course, what everybody should know is that when the bond yield starts to go down, we start like look at the fixed rate mortgages. That's the important thing because the bond yield is what has the effect to the fixed rate mortgages. That's what we want to see start coming down because it'd be a lot nicer to know what you're going to have as far as a monthly payment for the next few years as opposed to, let's say, a daily kind of turnaround when we talk about the Bank of Canada rate, when we talk about variables. So, Dave, one of the biggest, and I would say, one of the biggest pressure situations that we are now dealing with here as a country, and this is 100%, I think, the issue, not just with inflation, but definitely from an inventory shortage, is the fact that our immigration the uh, the powers to be have been not telling us the true numbers. By the time we put everything into place, Canada itself could take on up to 2 million people in 2023. And they're forecasting even a stronger number each year over the next several years. And what's going to happen, our inventory, uh, there is none. Okay, just, so let's all be clear. We can sit there and talk about you know, and, and Dave and I can talk about the fact that, you know, maybe we're going to see some power sales. Maybe we're going to see some sales. Quite frankly, one of the reasons why those situations don't bottom out a market, we see don't see a 30% inc- uh, decrease in pricing, is the fact that we've got people that are going to pick them up. A power sale doesn't mean it's a loss in the actual dollar value. It means somebody can't maintain the debt that's on the property. Dave, when we take a look at these immigration numbers, they're staggering. We haven't been told the truth. The problem that I see is... There is no real solution. I mean, I have one coming up soon, but there's no real solution. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, again, from across across the pond to have finally seen that the the Canadian statistics were wrong. That you know there is an admittance that there is possibly another one million people in the country uh, in terms of extra immigration, and they are pointing to. Uh, students um that you we took on way too much and it wasn't accounted for but you know what um todd you brought this up and we talked about this 
I want to even, I, I'm trying to picture, it might've been eight months ago where we, we, we did have a discussion that someone, I, I, I can't remember, he was a doctor, he was some type of uh, statistician, but he had already said this. He had said that the Canadian, you know, Canadian government was not counting certain things. That's why some of these numbers are off. Um, and I think it goes to back to the point of, you know, how unemployment has been supposedly staying uh, robust um, and strong, uh, you know, in terms of it's not it's, it's it's not raising as much as the Bank of Canada would like. Well, look, when you put an extra, you know, just massive amount of people in the country and then you don't even account for them in the calculations, that's always going to lead to mathematical errors. And so, you know, I, I, I you know. I think you'll even be able to pull clips or the boys will be able to pull clips at some point where I think I even said on the show, it doesn't seem like the unemployment numbers are right. It actually feels at least from someone who's at the, on the ground level, you know, our own company had to lay off several people because of a lack of business. I know many other businesses because I deal with the general public that have told me their businesses have had to lay off and terminate people due to lack of work. Um, and then every month, the Bank of Canada or the Canadian government is putting out statistics stating that unemployment is not going up. Um, again, you know, it, to me, math equations, you can get the numbers you need, but you can't get them if the numbers you're calculating with are off. And not only that, we're talking about off by uh, 50% or if you want to calculate it, 100%. Um, you know, it, to me, again, always was an issue. This is more valid. Validation, I think, for our thesis that the numbers aren't accurate at the moment, and it's likely a lagging factor that we will find out, like we are now, down the road, that things weren't as rosy as they were trying to picture it for us. Yeah, I think I think part of their narrative can be supported by the miscue in the numbers, though, and that's that's part of it, right? And you know, when when you and I talk about inflation and you know, what really is inflation? What, you know, when, when they take a look at, you know, consumption of consumer goods and things like that, I mean, you know, while you were away, they decided to increase the carbon tax in the gasoline. So all of a sudden, you know, we go up 15 cents a liter. Um, and then they say, oh, wait a minute, inflation went up in the month of July. And it's like, well, hang on for a second. If you increase the cost of something due to taxes, doesn't that add to inflation? When you turn around and you put a half a percent increase to your mortgage payment, okay, doesn't that add to inflation? And here's the real scapegoat. If you add a million people into consumption and you don't factor in the number of people consuming, does that not add to the inflationary number? Yeah, I mean, you know, look at... We, you know, the big talk obviously is that, you know, what was it this week? U.S. CPI was announced. It was an increase up to 3.7, but look where it was increased. It was generally almost all gasoline prices, right? So, you know, what is that? You know, and again, we know where the increase of gasoline prices are coming from. You know, so this insane agenda that we're seeing, uh, you know, which really does seem to be hurting you know, Canadians and Americans, you know, and what's going to happen next week when, you know, we get the Canadian CPI statistics. Well, guess what? They're going to be up as well, right? There's no question to me that, again, gasoline prices are causing inflation to go higher than it naturally would. You know, and a lot of people don't, you know, understand how inflation is calculated. So I think it would be best to help them in that, you know, because we get a lot of calls from clients that are even saying, hey, you know, the inflation ever started to uptick. I'm scared that it's going to go on a run again and we're going to be caught in this bad situation. I say, well, look, the one thing you have to understand is that inflation is calculated 
month over the month from the previous year. So let's think about this. One of the biggest, you know, I would say cogs in inflation staying high, at least in headline inflation, is rents, right? Which has to do with obviously mortgage payments, increases in in households, right? Increases in shelter. Well, that's all going to slow down quite a bit because guess what? The biggest increases in those things happened last summer. Right. So when you have to talk about year over year calculations, when we now get to October, November, December, right, guess what? Shelter costs have not actually increased that much at that time. The biggest shock was always known that it was going to happen now because we knew the biggest, well, what do we have? 0.751% raises, okay, last year around this time in the summer. Well, that's going to be off the books, you know, for inflationary uh, statistics come the next couple months. So I'm not interested in what inflation is today. I'm more interested in what inflation is going to be in November and December. And if it does start to trend back down to the way that, you know, to the number that we think it should after these, you know, shelter increases come out and hopefully gas prices will start to see some bit of a layoff coming into the into the winter, which I think may happen. Well, then guess what? We're going to start to see headline inflation and core come back down. And then we may end up seeing the bank again to finally you know, uh, say that they won the war on inflation. But, you know, it, it has been funny seeing, what was it, Freeland? You know, every time she was getting a lower tick on inflation, she was saying, look what we did for inflation. But yet now that it's upticking, she's ghosted and you don't see her anymore. So very interesting how the politics play into this as well. It always is. Listen, Dave, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us, um, you know, from far away and, uh, you know, enlightening us on what's going on in the world, especially the economic aspect of it. So great to have you aboard and thank you so much. And uh, folks, Dave Butler, um, you know, always great to have him join me on the show. And uh, that's, uh, that's, it's amazing how fast an hour can go by. So I do want to thank Dave Butler because he did go out of his way. I can almost say, you know, he's got on an extended honeymoon, but he made time for our listeners as he always does. And I really appreciate that. I do want to thank George Nicotopoulos for joining us talking to us about that 3.99 offering that we did at the seminar webinar and how we still have a few opportunities left for people. It's amazing that that still exists. And, you know, again, you don't want to miss out on that. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to make sure that you get all over that. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, thesimpleinvestor1. I do want to thank my producers, Omar and Aiden in studio here. They do keep it simple for me every single week. And most importantly, I do want to thank you for tuning in, making us the number one real estate talk show. And um, you know what? The biggest thing is, of course, we'll be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.